Hello and welcome to The Gateway. I hope everyone's doing well, wherever they are. This week we are joined by Gilbert Ashkar, who is Professor of Development Studies and International Relations at SOAS. Gilbert is the author of many books, including his latest, The New Cold War, The US, Russia and China, From Kosovo to Ukraine, which was published by Saki in February. In the book, Gilbert argues that despite the rhetoric of a new Cold War following Russia's invasion of Ukraine last year, there has, in fact, been a new Cold War since the late 1990s. I begin by asking Gilbert how he has seen Emmanuel Macron's recent attempts to improve relations with China. He has been attacked uh, by, um, I would say, uh, the European Atlanticists, that is, uh, those who believe that uh, Europe should be very firmly uh, uh, on the side of the United States in, in global politics. Whereas what he, what he was trying to, to, to do was to, to uh, uh, contribute to a specific European path, which wouldn't be one of automatic alignment behind the United States. And this is a very old um, dispute uh, in Europe. Uh, it goes back very old, from the time of De Gaulle, for instance, the French president De Gaulle. Uh, De Gaulle had uh, uh, very clearly manifested his uh, will to uh, to, to uh, emancipate France from American uh, tutelage, as he, he saw it. Uh, he uh, recognized uh, China uh, in 1964, I mean, the People's Republic of China, so uh, which means means severing uh, relations with Taiwan, uh, um, and uh, took some steps in, in taking some distance from NATO while remaining in NATO. So this, this is an old, old story, and uh, uh, you have part of Europe, especially the French, who are keen on uh, some what, what Macron, Macron calls strategic autonomy. And you have others, uh, most of which are you know, the, 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 the UK and some of the Eastern European states, uh, actually mostly Poland. Mm-hmm. Uh, Poland and the UK are th- those, the two countries within the, the European sphere, which are more and most uh, uh, pro uh, uh, alignment with the with the United States, and that would go to some other smaller states. So it's a, it's an old discussion, but uh, basically, uh, I think that uh, what Macron is saying that Europe should not get uh, entangled uh, automatically in disputes in the Asia Pacific area, for instance, uh, makes sense. It's not in the in the interest of Europe. And uh, I think that uh, the, the way Britain, once Britain uh, uh, came out of the European Union through Brexit, once Europe, uh, I mean, w- once it did that, the, the way Britain got involved in this AUKUS, this uh, treaty, with, uh, this defense alliance with, uh, 
the United States and Australia, which is very clearly anti anti Chinese. Uh, I don't think this makes uh, a lot of sense from uh, a European perspective, and uh, even from the point of view of the the basic interest of uh, of the UK itself. So yeah, I would have a, a rather uh, positive uh, assessment of, uh, of of Macron's visit, even though he might have expressed himself clumsily. But that's not the question. Mm-hmm. So I guess on the other side, which I guess Macron is pushing against then, is this uh, the three sort of big powers which in your book, The New Cold War, you describe as, oh, who are, I guess, America, the US on one side, and China and Russia on the other. Um, but before we go into that, can we talk about the original term, the Cold War? Because I didn't know that it was invented by a socialist, uh, Edouard Bernstein, in 1893. I think, and he was a member of the Reichstag. Um, and he, he used it to describe a kind of a, a burgeoning militarism which was taking over Germany rather than like a clash of ideologies or whatever, rather than capitalism versus communism. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, the meaning, whether he invented or, or used it publicly uh, while it was already in use is not very clear. But the key point, yeah, it's the first uh, use of the modern concept of Cold War on record. And by this he meant uh, the arms race, what, what had been called during the Cold War, of the, uh, the post-World War II Cold War. Uh, people referred to it uh, as the arms race between the, the Soviet bloc and the, the, uh, the Western bloc. And uh, so you had this already before the First World War, uh, uh, Germany was building up its military force in preparation for war, and this build-up is what he referred to as as a Cold War. And this is the the, the basic sense. And I give in the book. Uh, I mean, there's a a history of the concept and how it was used and all that. But you can see that even for what have become known as the uh, as the historical period of the Cold War. Uh, the, the 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 main the, the core meaning of of the term was still that that the one of this uh, arms race the fact of maintaining military budgets uh, of uh, a, a level allowing you to 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 be ready for war right at any moment and that's what you had you had uh, scenarios during the 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 Cold War, uh, where the United States uh, military and their budget was based on the idea of being prepared to wage two wars at once, two major wars. Um, and uh, so this is the, the core of the idea. The fact that it was on this or that ideological basis is not part of the concept itself. Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, uh, what you have had uh, after the transition, the the brief transition period of the 90s, when again you had a a global situation in which you had a a resumption of a build-up of military capabilities on both sides and increasingly a zero-sum game relation between uh, uh, Russia and, uh, uh, I mean, Russia on the one hand, and the United States, and China tending to, to, to be in alliance uh, uh, with, uh, with Russia in, 
on the strategic and military level and political level. Um, this is what uh, I called, since the, the late 90s, a new Cold War that, uh, that had started. And ever since, uh, this new Cold War has only been confirmed and got uh, even hotter and hotter to the point of getting uh, very hot indeed uh, with this uh, Ukraine, the war in Ukraine. I mean, it's not a, a global war, it's not a world war, but uh, that's, uh, I mean, very much comparable to the worst moments of the, the Cold War, the previous Cold War. And since you sort of posted the idea in, I think it was 1999, right? Shortly yeah. after the um, Kosovo War. Correct. Um, it's sort of been debated and played out, surprisingly, in the pages of uh, Foreign Affairs magazine. Um, yeah, what have you made of that debate or how the term has been used? No, you, you've had debates and you have had all the, this period. I mean, I, I was the first, to, at least to my knowledge, but the, the first who had to, to uh, 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 diagnose this new Cold War and call it by its name from the... the I, I, I regarded the Kosovo War, which was, if you want... To understand it, uh, you have to go back even to the beginning of the decade in 1990, when uh, George Bush Senior uh, uh, was president, and he proclaimed a new world order, which would be based on the rule of law. Uh, you know, and uh, we finish. We end the Cold War finished. Now we will enter a new historical era, and that would be the rule of law. And there you have, nine years later, the United States violating international law by conducting a bombing of Kosovo without a green light from the Security Council, the UN Security Council. And this was very much uh, uh, amplified, got much worse with the invasion of Iraq a few years later, four years later, 2003, right? The So... Uh, already from the Kosovo War, I saw that this key moment, which where you had this uh, a peak of tension between Moscow and Beijing on, on the one hand and Washington plus its allies on the other, on the issue of Kosovo, of, of, the, the, of bombing, of, of the war in Kosovo, actually, NATO's war in Kosovo, that that was the, the, the turning point, the decisive moment in the beginning of a new Cold War. And as I said, this, I mean, uh, this uh, diagnosis and prognosis, uh, I mean, they combined, they, they, they were confirmed with the, 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 the subsequent events, which, which carried on uh, in, the, in this way. And at the same time as the bombing of Kosovo, they also sort of brought in former Eastern Bloc nations and the sort of psychic shock that this caused Russia that, you know, they'd switched uh, Hungary and so on. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, precisely, I mean, this happened during the 90s. The 90s were a transition decade, but during those 90s, the United States was in uh, uh, a very dominant position globally because the the, the Soviet Union had been dissolved, it had crumbled, Russia had become a a shadow of its uh, former self. Uh, China was not yet the China that we know today. You know, in the 90s, China was still, uh, I mean, much poorer than what it is today, much weaker than what it is today. 
So the United States were, were really the hyperpower, as someone called them. I mean, the, the super superpower, or the only superpower remaining, if you want. Uh, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and so the, the cards were in Washington's hands, but the choices that were made were not conducive to, uh, to this permanent peace and rule of law and the rest that was promised by uh, Bush Sr. The, the choices made by, the Clinton, by Bill Clinton and his administration were actually uh, uh, choices of consolidating the supremacy of the United States at the expense of both Russia and China. And that meant the enlargement of NATO to Eastern Europe. I mean, instead of either dissolving NATO since the initial <clears throat> uh, mission of NATO was to counter the Soviet Union and there, were, there was no, no longer a Soviet Union uh, in the 90s, so instead of dissolving NATO, or at the very least, just keep it as it was and, and freeze it and, and, and get into some kind of different kind of uh, uh, um, arrangements with the Eastern European countries, the choice was made to, to bring them into NATO. And when you bring them into NATO without inviting Russia to join at the same time, that, that is very clearly interpreted by the Russians as a hostile gesture. At the same time, and even though China had been uh, uh, in a kind of semi-alliance with the United States since uh, the 70s, um, uh, under Bill Clinton, you had a shift and uh, a clear provocation of China in 96 on the issue of Taiwan, which, which uh, was the, uh, a very tense moment. Uh, in the relation between the two countries. You had had nothing of that kind since the 50s. So uh, that's that pushed the two countries, China and Russia, to, uh, to, uh, to work together. And China, until then, until the 90s, China had been uh, antagonistic uh, to Russia. And so this change, uh, to the Soviet Union, sorry. So this change and, and Russia started, uh, China started collaborating with, with Russia uh, in the military field, became, uh, Russia became its main uh, purveyor of, of weapons, including sophisticated weapons and the rest. And yeah, and uh, the, the, the relation between the two countries uh, developed yeah, ever since. So, so that's how we got into this new Cold War, uh, which uh, is different from, by, from I mean, <clears throat> different from the previous one, in more than one respect. But what they have in common is th this the the core meaning of Cold War, which is actually a, a, a build a military build up, and uh, uh, the the fact that on both sides the likelihood of war. Is, is there, is kept in mind, and there's preparation for that, readiness for that. And this issue of maintaining this readiness to war is what is called a Cold War. Yeah, the parallels between sort of now and 100 years ago are there throughout the book, aren't they? The, I always think of that, you know, Peter Cook, the comedian, his joke about the um, the establishment club in Soho, not far from, in, like not far from Bloomsbury. And he said he wanted to create the establishment club uh, mirrored on the cabarets of Weimar Germany because they did so well to stop the rise of the Third Reich, etc. And it's kind of like the response of America to Russia post-Soviet Union uh, sort of did so much, quote-unquote, to stop the rise of 
further militarization and conflict, right? Um, so yeah, the Treaty of Treaty of Versailles and the nineteen nineties. What kind of economic parallels can be? Absolutely, yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, when when you had a fierce debate in the United States in the nineties on the issue of NATO's enlargement, um, all American historians were opposed to the enlargement because they knew history. And uh, uh, if you don't know history, that's, uh, I mean, uh, uh, this, this, and you are a political leader, that's uh, really a huge problem. And you, if you don't heed the lessons of history, that's a huge... And, and what, what are these lessons of history that they, they took into consideration? It is that when you humiliate the defeated and uh, you uh, 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 create conditions for resentment uh, among them, then you are just uh, sowing the seeds of a new war. You are, you, you are sowing the seeds for, for further uh, uh, disasters and, and complications. And that's what happened after the First World War. Germany was, I mean, the conditions imposed in, on Germany were such that they facilitated the rise of Adolf Hitler and Nazism. Nazism. And in the same way, the, the way the United States... Um, behaved toward Russia. I don't have time to get into details, but this is discussed in details in the book. Uh, but uh, this paved the way for the rise of Vladimir Putin. I'm not saying that Vladimir Putin is the equal of, of Adolf Hitler, the, the, but what I'm saying is that uh, you've had conditions created in both cases that uh, bred nationalist resentment and and led to the rise of uh, of, of nationalism uh, and authoritarianism also uh, in that regard. In the early 2000s, um, what, what happened with the embrace um, by uh, Judge Bush, Judge W. Bush of Putin? Do you remember they had the meeting in, and they said, I knew from the chain around his neck that he was a trustworthy guy and that kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we, the, the number of, yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, Putin... Well, in the book, I mean, uh, I use this. Uh, this is well known about him, but he's a judo a judo uh, player, and uh, the principle there is is when 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 your uh, uh, the opponent is on the offensive, uh, don't try to block it. Just use the power of the offensive uh, uh, itself. That's the key principle. And when the United States went mad after 9-11, both actually China and Russia did not try to counter this frontally. So they went along with it, uh, tried to accompany it, but that was uh, just temporary. And uh, soon after, things went back to the the same pattern. So this embrace did not uh, uh, last long. And actually, the, the invasion of Iraq was a key, another second, a second after Kosovo, a second turning point and a very decisive one. And, uh, and, uh, and the rest, so the, the, I mean, uh, the, the book describes the whole, the, the, the evolution of relations during uh, the, 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 the previous decades until now. And I mean, the, 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 those, uh, this quarter century since the turn of the, the century, since the beginning of 21st, 
And you can clearly see that the buildup of tensions and all that uh, leading to what happened. And actually, uh, also what's happening is also a result of, of this expansion of NATO. That uh, the, the, the other uh, significant moment is 2008, when George W. Bush um, pushed for uh, uh, Ukraine and Georgia joining NATO. And that was opposed already by the time by the French and the German. Germany and France uh, were, were very reluctant, and Bush exerted a lot of pressure, and then they got some compromise at the NATO summit. But uh, so inviting uh, Georgia and Ukraine, but not immediately. But the end result was what? Was what? Putin uh, thought that he would counter this by military uh, operations. So he, um, he attacked Georgia in uh, 2008. So and uh, took over part of, of uh, Georgia's territory, um, separatist uh, areas, um, uh, creating a, a military fact on the ground that would prevent Georgia of, of joining NATO because Georgia is in a kind of state of war with Russia. And it, therefore, uh, it can't be a member of NATO because then NATO would have to defend Georgia and get involved in the war. Uh, he was confident that this uh, Ukraine would not uh, um, be interested in joining Ukraine, uh, the NATO, until 2014, when you had the Maidan uh, revolution in Ukraine, and things changed there. And uh, he therefore feared that uh, Ukraine would join NATO. And then he did his military operation in Ukraine, I mean, to Crimea and annexed Crimea. And you had the, the incursion in eastern Ukraine. So you see, this is related to this history. And again, it's not, I mean, when you point to these issues, you have people who will tell you, ah, you are you are uh, exposing uh, Putin's view or, or whatever. No, I'm not. And I, I, I don't see any justification for the invasion of uh, another country. Uh, so e even if you, you, you may accumulate the reason uh, uh, rational reasons for, for it that doesn't justify the fact that you are uh, violating international law, that you are violating the, the, the integrity and sovereignty of another nation and uh, invading their land. And this is very reprehensible. But uh, uh, we, we should be able also to point to the, the uh, responsibilities in this regard and, uh, and the fact that the United States, by the very fact that it is the, the mightiest power on earth, has a huge responsibility and has uh, uh, um, played a, a key role in shaping the world as it is today, which is not a satisfactory condition. It's a very dangerous world, the one, the one in which we are living. And uh, just thinking of Finland joining NATO a few weeks ago, it seems to be getting more and more entrenched in this sort of two-sided new Cold War, I guess, right? Absolutely. I mean, this uh, well, th this also points to the uh, um, the short sightedness, uh, if not uh, worse than that, of Vladimir Putin, because he <laughs> he launched this invasion. I mean, pe people have said that he has been cut uh, off uh, from reality for for a few years since COVID and all that. He 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 was has been living in a in a kind of bubble. Um, and uh, he 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 uh, 
he practiced self-suggestion. He convinced himself that, uh, you know, that uh, invading Ukraine would, would be quite e- easy, very easy operation. Now, to be fair, he wasn't the only one to believe that it was ve- would be very easy because we know that uh, American intelligence was predicting that uh, it would t- take him t- three days to take control of Ukraine. Uh, so, I mean, that relativizes the, the blunder he made. But at, at, in any event, what he did is uh, was really a godsend for the United States because it completely revamped NATO. NATO was really in a very poor state before this, and NATO has been revived, resuscitated almost, and not even that, but you had two new countries joining NATO, Sweden and Finland. Uh, Sweden has not yet completed this because of Turkey, <clears throat> but uh, Finland has. And that means uh, uh, for someone like Putin who didn't want, who wanted to keep buffer a buffer zone between NATO and the and his and the borders of Russia, this is a huge, uh, a massive failure because Finland has a very very long border with Russia, so that is completing this vice, which uh, in which uh, Russia feels uh, caught uh, on the western side. So, yeah, I mean, uh, basically this war has been, uh, as I said, a, a really a godsend for the United States. It, 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 uh, uh, it enabled the United States to uh, uh, renew its uh, hegemony globally to the, 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 through the renewal of the allegiance of, of its uh, traditional allies, fearing for, for themselves and therefore looking uh, at uh, the United States as the, the overlord, the, the Lord Protector, right? And that's what you got. Um, uh, yes, so this, I mean, uh, Putin uh, has uh, committed, a, I mean, not only a crime, but a huge blunder. Uh, you know the saying, which is uh, too cynical to my taste, but it means something. Uh, it's worse than a crime, sir. It's a blunder. Uh, it's an error. It's a historical saying. Uh, well, uh, you, you could say that, that yes, he, not only he committed a crime, but he committed a major error, major blunder. I would have thought if he'd heard that the U.S. intelligence had predicted it would be a, a quick, easy invasion and just last three days, he would have gone, oh, no, no, if that's the prediction from the U.S., I'll probably, uh, I'll probably go into reverse. Yeah, but, but that would have had the same effect in the sense of uh, frightening the other European countries and therefore bringing them to increase their allegiance to Washington. So in any event, even if he had succeeded militarily, he would have uh, served uh, the US, uh, US strategy, US grand strategy in that sense. So that wasn't smart at all. Huh? But on top of that, it was a mis- total miscalculation militarily, and he got bogged down uh, in, in a quagmire situation, as we, we can see now. Now, I don't know how things will, would evolve, but it's, it's clearly, uh, I mean, uh, there has been a massive failure of, of the, the, the Russian, uh, measured by, by the goal, the initial goal that he set for this invasion. And uh, just as a last question, I wanted to ask you just about the next next few decades going forward, I guess, because on the one hand, you've got the US, which, as you detail in your book, is all about 
militarizing the military industrial complex and so on. And on the other side, some people might look at China, for instance, and say, well, they have the Belt and Road Project. They're working on infrastructure in Africa. Okay, maybe it involves loans and it's not exactly, you know, it's problematic, but um, there seems to be two different paths there. Do you see that? How, how will that play out? Well, China has been uh, playing, uh, well, I would what I would describe as a smart uh, uh, game in, in that regard. Uh, China, first, China needed time to build itself because in the 90s, when this new Cold War started, China was very much behind. Uh, it was, uh, uh, incre- I mean, it was developing very, very fastly. The 90s are the, 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 the decade of the, 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 the spectacular takeoff of the Chinese economy. But that went, uh, they needed a few more decades for that. Uh, and, uh, and therefore, uh, uh, they, they were much more, um, how to say, uh, moderate in their international policies than, than than the Russians, for instance. And if you compare the military expenditure uh, to, to compared to the gross domestic product, and that is to the size of the economy, uh, China has uh, spent much less than the United States and Russia, than both the United States and Russia. And uh, it, so it was focusing mostly while building itself up militarily, but at a, a uh, less uh, uh, frenzied uh, rate than what you have in the United States or Russia, uh, it, it, it focused on its economic uh, build-up for, for, for all this time. And uh, on the international level, it uh, projected itself as a kind of benevolent country defending the rule of law, the UN Charter, the international institutions, Globalization, I mean, you had this paradox under Trump where China was defending globalization versus the United States. I mean, the the country ruled by the Communist Party defending globalization, and that is capitalist globalization, basically, against the United States. That was a kind of a huge paradox. And also, uh, um, now we're seeing... uh, uh, Russia playing the role of peacemaker between Iran and, and, and the Saudi Kingdom because it serves its interest because China is uh, uh, dependent on its energy imports and uh, it imports from both the Saudi Kingdom and Iran. China is a, a major client of Saudi oil and uh, uh, it serves its interest, but it also, you know, projects this idea that China is a peer, peacemaker, whereas Washington is a troublemaker. And that's what also they want to, to, to go through. And on the issue of, of Ukraine, they have said uh, from the start, they have set a number of principles, but that included the defense of the territorial, the principle of territorial integrity, which, of course, is a principle that Ukraine is uh, claiming against uh, Russia. But at the same time, uh, uh, views like uh, uh, there shouldn't be sanctions decided unilaterally, as happens on the international level, and uh, we should end, uh, you know, uh, the Cold War mentality. Well, uh, so you see, they they try to give some kind of of balanced position, but at the same time, they are caught in the fact that uh, they need the alliance with Russia in the face of the United States. They're, because al- alone, they uh, militarily, they are not uh, uh, strong enough to face the United States alone. 
So that's where Russia comes into the picture, and that's why they they, they can't openly denounce Russia and cut uh, uh, the, the, those links. But uh, they would be ready to play a role in ending this war uh, with uh, some kind of acceptable compromise for both parts, you know, to finding some kind of uh, compromise that would at the same time be a face-saving solution for uh, Vladimir Putin. But in order to do that, uh, they need uh, uh, Western countries to, uh, to, 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 to support that and to join this kind of effort. And you see countries like France, Germany, the, the, the German uh, foreign minister uh, <clears throat> went after Macron to, uh, to, uh, to Beijing and she invited China to foster peace between Ukraine and Russia as uh, uh, it did between Iran and the Saudi Kingdom. So you have some of the Europeans, like the French and the German, uh, uh, willing to, to, to work with China in that direction, but you have the United States blocking that uh, for the time being, at the very least.